Oh, hey, I'm glad you're here. As some of you may know, I have a daughter who's nine, and every day when she gets home from school, I ask her one thing. I say, who did you make laugh the hardest today? And she'll think about it, and then rattle off a few kids' names, and on a good day, she'll give me a taste of the latest bit. She's always been into cutting people up, and she never misses a chance to be wild, weird, and funny. I love it. I think bringing people joy and laughter is one of the most important things in the world. It's my hope that this podcast brings some levity to listeners' lives, or at least a distraction from the darker things in the world. We've had a few comedians on VHS. We've had Ian Carmel, Sean Jordan, Sarah Burns, while not a stand-up, is epically hilarious. With this episode, we add another very talented person to the VHS Comedy Collective. Our guest is very funny, has a lovely family, and makes them the perfect person for this episode, so let's just get right to it. The film is This Is My Life. My guest is Megan Gailey, and this is VHS. And welcome to VHS, the podcast where each episode is about a film and the guest has the professional experience portrayed in the film. I'm your host, Dirk Marshall. As always, I encourage you to find us on Instagram and Twitter at VHUS underscore podcast. You can join in supporting the show and the artists we employ by joining our Patreon. Also here is my co-host, Sarah Marshall. Thank you for being here. Hey, buddy. No problem. You are Spicy Marshall on Instagram and Twitter, as well as the chef and owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. How's everything going? Everything's good. We just got back from Las Vegas. We were at the Fancy Food Show, and I was cooking there in a demo space, making food for people, so it was really fun. I'm tired, but we're back. (laughs) That's right. We're back. And we're joined by stand-up comedian, actor, podcast co-host of I Love a Lifetime Movie, and mom. It's Megan Gailey. Thank you for being here. Hello. I was in Vegas the week before, and I still feel like I'm recuperating. Yeah. hard to breathe (laughs) it's hard to breathe also Vegas in January it's really a swing because a lot of people they're like dry January Mm -hmm. and the people in Vegas they're not doing that they're doing the wettest January (laughs) and it's really a crew it's really a wild crew there yeah it sure is it was a wild ride oh my gosh People can find more about you. Your website is MeganGailey.com. You're Megan Gailey on Twitter and better Megan Gailey on Instagram, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, there was a Megan Gailey uh, already on Instagram and I did need to teach her a lesson. I love that. It's so funny. When I was like, okay, I think it's Megan Gailey on everything. And when I got to better Megan Gailey, I was like, well played. Yeah. Well played. She's now since gotten married and has given up Megan Gailey, but I'm like, I don't want your sloppy seconds. <laughs> Would you mind telling people about your podcast? Yes. So I host it with a very, very funny comedian and friend, Naomi Ekparrigan, who's amazing. We are in affiliation with Lifetime. And so we get movies before they premiere. We get to interview stars of the films. And we watch and recap a different Lifetime movie every single episode. So sometimes when it's the holidays, we're doing all the holiday movies. And then sometimes we're doing movies where people sleepwalk and have sex with their neighbors. So it really runs the gamut and it is so fun and Lifetime really as a company, I think has a great awareness of their brand and they allow us to have a lot of fun with it. That's great. I love that. We are big fans here of Hallmark and Lifetime, especially around the holidays. So yes, that is wonderful. 
full disclosure about this episode, I had texted our mutual friend Ian Carmel almost three years ago, and I said I was out of touch with stand-ups. Who should I reach out to for this episode? And he said one name, which was yours. And so wow. I had reached out to you, and we were back and forth communicating about doing the episode. You instantly said, of course, which means a lot when you first start a project, you know, to have people to be willing to even talk to you. And then conversation. I disappeared. Kind of, well, <laughs> things come up all the time. You're not a baby. Yeah. No, not then. But communication just kind of stops sometimes mm -hmm. with projects, whatever. People have lives. And then we find ourselves at Ian Carmel's wedding last year. And across the table from us is you and CJ. Yes. I had no idea. And so we're like doing the whole like, oh, what do you do? Who do you mm -hmm. know here? That kind of stuff. And, and what must be one of the best weddings of all time, I think. So fun. Yeah. And we shared a wedding planner. So I take you saying their wedding was one of the best of all time as a compliment, even for my Perfect. wedding, because, you know, we share a creative vision there. I love that. And then after the wedding, Sarah looked up your comedy because you both just said, oh, we're just stand-ups like super casually, which at that wedding makes sense. And mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and then Sarah's like, she's very funny. You should watch some <laughs> of this stand-up. And I was like, I will. And then I said, oh, my God, I should reach out because we were at the same wedding. And what pops up is the two-year-old thread. <laughs> and I just couldn't believe it. I was like, what a small world. Isn't that wild? And we really loved sitting with you and loved chatting about the business. And, and you also have a child. Yeah. But I'm so honored Ian recommended me because that was pre me having a kid. But right. I guess I read woman who wants to have kid. You know, I was giving that energy, <laughs> well, I'm sure. No, originally it was obvious child because I just seen okay, Jenny yeah. Slate's movie. And that was kind of about being a stand up. And I was like, just uh -huh. looking for female voices, really, in this career. And so it it just, it was, you know. The stars aligned. Yeah, I'm just so happy. <laughs> the reason we're joined by Megan is because we're brought together by the film This Is My Life from 1992. Was this a first time watch for you? It was a first time watch. And it, it honestly, I had not heard of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of shocked given the Efron yeah, of it all yes. and just the sheer magnitude of the cast. Yeah, it's really startling once you start to get into the film and you're like, oh, okay, this kind of comedy dramedy from 1992. And then the names start popping up and you're like, Wait, who? Wow. What? what? Huh? Yeah. And yeah, it's it's pretty wild. At the time of this recording, you can stream it on multiple platforms, and you should, especially if you like time capsule shows like Marvelous Miss Maisel, or if you're a working parent. Of course, I must request you rent the film from your local video store like Movie Madness right here in Portland, Oregon. The synopsis, which I believe is a little unfair, is says a stand-up <laughs> comic neglects her two daughters in the oh, midst wow. of newfound fame. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty harsh. That's pretty harsh. We'll break down who's involved. Our director is Nora Ephron, who also co-wrote the screenplay. She did This Is My Life, Sleepless in Seattle, Mixed Nuts, Michael, You've Got Mail. She also wrote When Harry Met Sally. I mean, incredibly awesome. Unfortunately, it's really iconic. Yes, absolutely. Our cinematographer is Bobby Byrne, who did Smokey and the Bandit, 16 Candles, Bull Durham, and most importantly to me, Howard the Duck. Okay. I love Howard the Duck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our editor is Robert 
M. Raitano, who did Night School, My Blue Heaven, This Is My Life, mm. Sleepless in Seattle, and Mixed Nuts. I love when you start to see the pattern of, like, yeah. Nora found her editor, and, like, they work on every project. It was it was interesting, because I thought CJ would really like this movie, and I was like, do you want to watch it with me? And, and he was busy, but he popped in at one point, and he said, this is how movies should look. Yeah. Or he was like, this is how comedy should look. Mm-hmm. And he loves My Blue Heaven. Yeah. And then he was saying, he goes, I wonder if the DP is the same on this. That was, what was the movie he was saying? Cause he was just like this. I love this look. And and mm-hmm. I wish this is how comedies were shot now too. Yeah. I did an episode with Ian and we did punchline and I wish uh-huh. punchline had half the heart and passion for the subject that I feel like it did not have. And this movie completely has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Really sweet. Actors, we got Julie Kavner. She did a lot of TV. She was Brenda on Rhoda, Hannah and Her Sisters, Awakenings, This Is My Life, Forget Paris, Deconstructing Harry, and of course, she's the voice of Marge Simpson. I just think she always delivers such beautifully nuanced human performance in everything I've ever seen her in. And it almost makes me get emotional, and I will get emotional during talking about this movie, (laughs) just talking about her in, like, Awakenings and things, because it's just, she's just so, like... Forget Paris. I forgot she's in that. That's a CJ and I love too, because it's, you know, very sports center. Oh, right. And then next we have Samantha Mathis, who, of course, pump up the volume. This is my life. She's the voice of Crystal in Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. I loved Fern Gully. Yeah, she was in Super Mario Brothers, American Psycho, still delivering great performances, like in 2018's Clove Hitch Killer, which is a really good film. It's an indie that I don't think a lot of people saw. But next is Gabby Hoffman. I mean, come on. Is this one of her first movies? Well, she had done Field of Dreams and Uncle Buck before this. Okay, and I'd seen both of those, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And she's great in Uncle Buck. Okay, yeah, she is younger in that one. Just three years younger, which is crazy because she's so tiny in this. She was also in Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, Obvious Child, of course, the transparent TV show. I -hmm. love when these actors get older and you can't quite put your finger on where you saw them, because that's what happened to me mm-hmm. with Transparent, is I was like, this is a force. Who is this? I know, I know. And then I go back and I'm like, oh, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've my I've known gosh. her my whole life. Yeah, <laughs> yes. exactly. Uh, also in the film, Dan Aykroyd, Carrie Fisher, Tim Blake Nelson, Joy Behar, Estelle Harris. It's like every name you just go, yeah. Well, that's Kathy and Jimmy, who's yeah. in one scene. Yeah, yes. I think technically, too, if we count the dance montage. But yes, okay. She's, okay. she doesn't have lines in that one, I don't think. It's really pretty amazing. So let's press play on This Is My Life. I just want to say that this is not a story about my mother and how she got famous. It's a story about me. My name is Erica Ingalls. I have a sister, Opal. Okay, it's about my sister, too. Almost ready. Okay, it's about my mother too, but not completely. This is my life. We have dual narrators, which is really crazy and cool because we have Erica and Dottie both narrating, which is a fun plot device to have the daughter who thinks it's all about her life and the mom who thinks it's all about her life, and they're told at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. We get a cut scene of the girls pretending to be Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon, and we get our title card. It's this beautiful moment of them folding out a hideaway bed and performing with their mother. 
which already, if you're not sort of touched by that, I, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I just and and at the start of the movie, Dottie is not a stand-up yet. Right. Like she's like, I've been on the Tonight Show, and then you see her, and she's just pretending to be on the Tonight Show. And now, now here's Johnny. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, we welcome back one of our Tonight Show regulars who's become incredibly popular since her first appearance here. Let us welcome her now, Dottie Ingham! I like that you get to watch the start to finish, truly. Yeah, yeah. And then we see her at her day job because she said she's on on Mm -hmm. TV again, and she's with Joy Behar as Ruby and another woman in a testing makeup and talking about placenta, which is going to come back later. Yes. Guessing a woman's age wrong. Right. uh, Which is, yeah. I honestly wish we had been at the beauty counter more. It's in the opening scene and I kept being like, oh, I yeah. hope we go back there because I just thought they were so funny in the way that they're kind of selling things while also being brutally honest. Mm. I didn't even realize it was Joy Behar. Yeah. Like when I was just looking at the IMDb, I'm like, wait, who is she? And then I'm like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. There's not a wasted casting decision in the film. No. Everybody no. is somebody or looks like they're somebody. There's no filler yes. in here. It's just all the women at the makeup counter are just like fantastic. You could pause it and just be like, excellent yes. costuming decisions. It's really amazing. So she's not on TV yet, but she's honing her skills for the future. And my first question for you is, do you feel like the muscles that you tone on stage or on the podcast all feed into future opportunities? Like if a script comes your way or... I think so. Like mm. when I saw her doing the job and salesmanship, I was like, yeah, that's definitely a skill. Even when I took improv and I know that you and Ian took yeah. improv, so you come from an improvising background too. And even though I don't still do improv, it mm. still is helpful. Yeah. I'm trying to think what, you know, I was a bartender. I was a waitress. Those obviously serve that being able to talk to people. And there's a very close line between standing at a table, taking orders and standing on a stage. Maybe that's why so many of us do it. I was a nanny. And I think that probably trying to get people to laugh and pay attention, like all of it feeds into it for sure. And just on a basic level, you need a day job when you're doing stand-up. Like, for the the most part, at at the beginning, for sure. Yeah, that's well put. Sarah, I know you feel the same way from having, doing things on the news where you're like, I don't know who's watching this, and then you have Mm -hmm. an opportunity pop up, and you're like, oh, I can do a two-minute demo or whatever. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing. You kind of have to be on your toes and ready to roll with anything, and I think that that's the vibe that I really got from her being at the makeup counter, is drawing in everyone's attention, interacting in this way that's not offensive, but you know, you're getting control of the situation. And I think that that's what she does later in her comedy. I also wanted to say in the beginning of the movie how um, we're just forcefully introduced to Carly Simon as the musical soundtrack. And then it carries a vibe through the whole movie. And I I don't know if the songs were written specifically for the movie because I'm not a Carly Simon expert. Some of them did like that. Um, you are the love of my life. Yeah, yeah. it felt like it. I mean, it felt like I it was. was <laughs> yeah, the, I was going to mention that later, but on first view, I didn't quite get it. And the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, the songs are furthering. Yeah, yeah. The sto- it's all in service of story. And, and yeah. the cinematography does the same thing. And I just was like, this movie is so good. It's because mm-hmm. every every component yeah. 
powerful, whether it's the actor, whether it's the music, whether it's the cinematography, it all is like perfectly telling this story. Yeah. Can I also say too, mm. a film that's an hour and 33 minutes yeah. long. Yeah, thank you. We don't, there was, there was no filler. There was no fluff. No. That's exactly how long it needs to be. And it covers a lot of ground. Like I was looking yeah. at my notes and I was like, oh yeah, this hasn't even happened yet. And then this yeah. happens. And then I look at the runtime and like 93 minutes, like what? Mm -hmm. It's incredibly concise. Next, we see little Opal played by Gabby Hoffman doing the same thing with another child, putting the makeup on and everything. And in the back is Aunt Harriet, who I love so much. Mm. It's a wonderful shot. The composition in these shots are just so good. I love that the doorbell rings and Aunt Harriet clutches her purse. Yes. <laughs> She's amazing. <laughs> She's so good. Now, how old is your little one? Eight months. Eight months. Okay. Yeah. Do you find yourself... because? Something that happened for me is I was constantly time traveling once I became a parent where I was looking at them older and then trying to be present for the moments that have already passed already. Do you find yourself struggling to be present with all of that? Because it is also challenging the transition to becoming a parent. Or are you mm -hmm. already mining things for comedy gold? Um, I would say trying to be present is my New Year's resolution. Okay. And so I am struggling with it. Yes, yeah, sometimes I'll be looking at pictures of him while he's sitting right there. And I'm like, well, why don't I look at him? <laughs> and, yeah. and so, so our phones, ends. obviously, technology and, and the world we live in make that difficult. And it's gone so fast already. Yeah. And I think I look at him now and I go, well, this is how he's looked the whole time. And then... And then I see a picture from even that first month and I go, who is that? And he looks mm -hmm. so different and his hair has changed. And I've been around a lot of babies and I, a friend posted like a picture of her baby who's now three and was like, I miss the baby so much that I, I'm almost, I'm not in mourning, but I think that I've really loved having a baby and being a baby mom. And I know that there are parents that are like, I hated having a baby and I was so happy once they could communicate. I'm so nervous to have a toddler and he's already you know, got a mind of his own and, mm. and really active. And I, and I can go, oh, he's a busy boy. And he used to just be this little sweet angel that didn't do anything <laughs> that I feel myself clutching onto these baby ears. Yes. With like clenched fists. That's great. I love that because I mean, it's different for every single person. And I remember when our child was just this tiny little squirrel of a thing you could just drape on your shoulder. Yeah. And now she's almost taller than I am. And it's yeah. just, I'm like, you're not even double digits. And I pick you up and your feet are still on the floor. Like what is happening? Yeah. Well, and that's the piece that I really loved, Derek, that you brought up in the movie where, you know, she is, the younger daughter is is becoming her mom, you know, so she's doing all these things that her child does. And I think children either do one of those two things, either they, and it's good because both siblings are an example, but either they really want to be like their parent or they really don't want to mm -hmm. be like their parent. And our daughter is going mm -hmm. through a very funny phase where I think it's just because she spent time with only us during the pandemic, but she has become this strange version of us so wow. she went from wearing all like sequin rainbows just being this like neon tiny gal to like now she dresses just like us she wears all black she's yeah. really into like anime that is wild. but she still has yeah. this vibrant light you know she's not yeah. like it's it's very interesting to see because I would have never guessed it or even thought that mm -hmm. we had the ability to make someone like us, but yeah. then here mm -hmm. she is. 
Yeah, our son, people will be like, oh my gosh, he's going to be so funny. Like he's growing up with two stand-up comedians. Like he's going to be so funny. And and he's actually quite earnest and gives very sort of judgmental looks. And he's not quick to laugh and he's not quick to smile. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I think he's going to like reject this way of life. And he's so sweet, but he's got a very serious side to him that it's kind of amazing to be born into, yes, like the chaos of a two stand up, two creative home and go, these two need someone to ground them. <laughs> like I do not need to contribute to the hijinks that they're a part of that. I kind of like the idea of having this little serious guy. Yeah, that's a good foil for you. Make you really work for it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And like, sometimes he will be like, give mama a laugh. Like she is <laughs> really trying, honey. <laughs> Next, the girls lay awake and discuss their missing father. Then Harriet enters. And everything she says is golden. Aunt Harriet Hilarious. Is lovely. Some days I scrunch up my eyes and I can't even get his face to float into my brain pan. There's just this big blank screen. Darlings, just forget about him. Your mother's the one who keeps this whole kitten caboodle together. Your mother works her fingers to the bone all week long. We know, we know. But what was he like? I don't want to know him again, but aren't there things we should know? Like what? Like, did anyone in his family have diabetes or anything? I have no idea. How should I know? Yes, there is diabetes. No, there isn't diabetes. What difference is it? It was a mistake for your mother to marry him. She only married him to prove she could get somebody to marry her. Who was she proving it to? Her mother. Her mother was dead. Only in the technical sense. Erica recalls saying something to drown out her parents' fight, which was fishka mm -hmm. fishka foon, which comes back again, as most things do in this film. Was there something you were going to say about Harriet? Yeah, I wrote down this line specifically when she said she only married him to prove that she could get married to someone. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's some <laughs> some brutal honesty in this film, too. Yeah. In the lines that's also funny. And they got in a fight at their wedding reception. It's just really, uh, I love Harriet. Yeah. It, it, this film walks a tightrope of like really um, realistic human emotion, but then just turns on a dime to be funny it's just so mm -hmm. so clever uh, yeah i am not jewish but i did find the movie to be very jewish in yeah. its temperament and sense of humor yeah it's really great and wonderful because the first time we met was at a jewish wedding absolutely yes <laughs> mm -hmm. which was like one of my favorite experiences also not being jewish and at one point we were running around in a circle and this yeah. elderly Jewish woman had my hand and I just didn't want to mess up whatever we were doing. And it was just, oh my And gosh. I said, Dirk, just follow the aunties. Yeah. yeah, 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 of course. I was raised Catholic, Irish Catholic, so like we don't really care that much. But it's like when you find out you're going to a Catholic wedding, you're like, oh gosh. And I have sort of the exact opposite because the ceremony that we went to it was religiously Jewish yeah. and still lovely and not like, let's bow our heads and pray for the single people amongst us, which right. has happened to me at oh. Catholic weddings before. <laughs> oh dear. Well, that wasn't the vibe at their no. wedding. Oh my gosh. Then Erica tells us about a dog they used to live by and teases Opal because she thought human penises and dog penises looked alike. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my There's favorite like kid, kid yeah. conversations where only siblings can have conversations like that. And so I love that they had that piece mm -hmm. in there. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, 
Aunt Harriet passes away, and then they sell her house and move to Manhattan. It all happens very quickly. Okay, so that's what I like. I was devastated to yeah. lose Aunt Harriet, mm-hmm. um, and I, and she is a she's a woman of a certain age. I think she led a great long life. I just as like a viewer, I'm like, no, I wanted her with us the whole yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, that's the propulsion that has to happen to force them to move up to the next stage. But it's just sad that it, it had to be Harriet. Mm-hmm. I thought they were moving to California. Like, when oh. I was like, oh, they're going right now. And because it was just like, we're moving. And then I go, oh, they're just going to the next borough. Yeah. They really kind of do stages before we get to where they're going. Uh, we get some great car bonding. They're really a lovely trio, these three, and how they yeah. sort of rib each other and the car bonding is fantastic. And then in comes aggressive Carly Simon if for the first time. It's a bit much for me, but I do love when movies say we're going to do all Engelbert Humperdinck jams. I appreciate that so much. We next see them moving in in a shot that I knew Sarah was going to say that I was going to uh, mention that I loved it so much, but it's a one shot and it just flows through the house as they're moving yeah. into this new and their, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous thing. She goes in the closet and opens the doors. It's like, it's, it's such a classic New York apartment that I'm sure has now been broken up into three different apartments. <laughs> yeah, or more. But <laughs> because it's not super, super fancy, mm-hmm. but you know it is to them and to us. I mean, when I first moved to New York, I lived in an illegal studio that was like painted the most disgusting color of purple that had a toilet you had to climb over to get into the shower. I think people that have never lived in New York would see this and go, that's not that nice. And we're like, yes, no, this is sex in the city. Nice. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's like, I mean, just to have bedrooms with doors or like where you don't have to walk through everyone else's space to get there. That's Mm -hmm. the only kinds of apartments I've ever been in in New York that my friends have lived in. And the girls are so excited too. They're stoked. It's really adorable. Transitions like this can be really challenging, like moving and having children. You've recently moved and have a child. Yes, we moved when he was like three and a half, four months. And so he was teething. We were going through some, obviously, the sleep deprivation and becoming first time homeowners at the same time. And I wouldn't recommend, (laughs) but we are now through it. But that does explain why there is nothing on the walls behind me. We moved five-ish years ago when our daughter was four and she cried. A lot, but she cried when we changed a doorknob because the doorknob was different in the house before we moved. And then she cried when we were leaving because of the toilet. Yeah, she didn't want to leave the toilet. And she wasn't potty trained, so we didn't know why she was attached to the toilet. But it was just one of those things where you're like, why do you care about this thing you're literally fighting against? Yeah, yeah it, it is strange for us because I'm like, oh, I was pregnant. Like, we spent the entire pandemic in this, in our past house. I was pregnant. We had the baby there. He lived there for three. So that's where he came into the world. Right. And he will have zero recollection of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll drive by our old house and be like, remember this? And she's like, yeah. Barely. <laughs> kind of. We know you've talked about this toilet. We then see Dottie come up with her signature polka dot look. We meet Angela, played by <laughs> Kathy and Jimny, who's always fantastic. Um, well, I have a question for Megan about the signature polka dot look. Yes, please. Because yes. She, she says, you know, every comedian has something. So I was wondering if you have a thing. I have the same question. So I used to dress, uh, like, I wasn't dressing up on purpose, but... I 
think I come from the school of thought of like, I was raised, like if you're doing something important, you dress up. And so if I was doing bigger shows, I was definitely dressed up. Now, if I'm wearing something, I was wearing a shirt last night that just said tennis in huge letters. And I did reference it because I'm like, I'm sure people are looking at this and I do need to call out what I'm wearing. But I tend to be more glam than most comedians, but I don't have a signature look that I'm always in. I wish I did. It would make life a lot easier. You just be like, where's my dots? Yeah, where's (laughs) my, for a minute, I thought it was going to be a jump, jumpsuits. Um, But then, you know, you do something, you go, I really want to wear something fun and cool for when I did the Tonight Show, I really wanted to wear like a fun feminine take on a fancy suit and so I wore this like shiny suit that was shorts and so it's like yeah I didn't end up wearing a jumpsuit for that because I had a specific kind of vision in mind yeah makes sense I mean who knows when you would get sick of wearing jumpsuits you know but I do love polka dots when she first came out in it I was like oh this is not gonna go well and then she ends up and you can really see her getting money sort of throughout the film that it evolves into a much more chic version Mm -hmm. yeah the evolution is is really nice at night she goes off and in the day they check in on how it went sometimes good sometimes not so much how do you deal with the ups and downs of a profession where so many things can factor into you go up and the audience isn't wonderful or you don't feel up to par that evening. How do you emotionally carry that? It's interesting because I watched this movie in a week where every single thing that this movie touched on, I was going through. Mm -hmm. And so it especially resonated. As I mentioned, I was in Vegas and I was there with this sports company that I work for. And so I was doing stand-up for like all of my coworkers at a comedy club where there were non-coworkers too. And I did not have a great set. And everyone said I did. I didn't feel good about it. (laughs) And like, there's no talking myself or any other performer out of what we think happened in our head so even though it wasn't like a bomb but I didn't love it and so then I didn't have any shows for a bit because it's hard to be a mom and a stand-up comedian and a writer and you know all those things and I my mind started going I don't think I want to be done (laughs) like I don't even know if I want to do stand-up and then my husband who's extremely supportive was like I think you're you're not done. Like, yeah. first of all, we have a mortgage. And so you got to <laughs> keep doing it. And I went and did two shows last night and they were so fun. Oh, and so it's kind of that thing of like, you're only as happy as your last set. And mm-hmm. I wish that wasn't the case, but we get so many opportunities to kind of right the ship. I have a show tonight. It might go terrible. And then I got another one Saturday. <laughs> like it's just sort of constant. Yes. Some of them are going to be good. Some of them are going to be tough. Gosh, I've been doing stand up now 13 and a half years. So I've been in the game a lot longer than Dottie's mm-hmm. character, where you tend to not hang on every single one of them. People will bring up insane shows to me. They're like, remember when that guy pulled his penis out at you? And I'm like, no, like there's been so many shows that I truly have forgotten even the most wild instances whereas Dottie's case she's done at some points in the movie like six shows so it's like they're so important to her but the mental illness of it never goes away of just like I need I need that next fix yeah 
And I, I think it's key that you have your husband to ground you in that reality of like, this is something that has happened, but you're still going to go back out there because Dirk has to do that with me a lot. Like yeah. if I go on and do, you know, a live news segment and I'm like, I didn't even say anything. Like I should have at mm. least talked. Like maybe mm-hmm. I shouldn't do this anymore, you know? And he will, you know, immediately just like talk me through it. And then I'm like, okay, yep, I'm going back on next month or whatever. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. But you need that because otherwise you get too in your head and you're like, why am I even doing this at all? Yeah. I, you know, and yeah. you need somebody to get you back in it. I think with stand up, sometimes too, when I first started, my goal, my dream was I want to be able to make a living as a stand up comedian. And now it's like, well, I have that. And I go, well, that was a terrible goal. <laughs> I should have really shot higher. Where once it becomes your job and not necessarily your hobby slash passion, it does end up becoming, I don't think it's more pressure, but I would say a little bit of the joy is taken out because it is a job at the end of the day and there's coworkers you don't like, or there's things with clubs or an agent or something that you're not necessarily able to be in control of being good or bad. And so even if it is your dream job, it still has job in there. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. The next sequence in the film, they do some shopping and uh, Erica tells Opal, the part about being a comedian is using parts of your life. So is mm-hmm. is it difficult for you to balance public persona and family? Is anything off the table between you and CJ? I'm really bad. This is really <laughs> Dottie and I. Oof, we are birds of a feather. As I'm watching this, and I got asked this question last week too, like what's off the table? And I'm like, I've never even asked. Mm. Like I just sort of go and then I never try and like verbatim drag someone with their name. But like I was doing a show at, I was doing the Chicago theater. So it's like big. I was opening for a very famous person. And I have a joke where I say my niece and nephew's name. Uh-huh. And I'm not saying anything bad that they did. I'm merely doing a joke about how my son is biracial and how they are full white. And the joke is that my parents are like so excited to spice up the Christmas card. <laughs> um, and and I name check them in it. I didn't change their name in it. Oh, yeah. And then my sister-in-law was like, oh, I heard you talked about so-and-so. And so and I was like, oh my God, I'm an idiot. You know, like, oh, why didn't I just change their name? That's so easy. I have addiction in my family and I specifically called out a family member of mine's addiction on national television. Oh, wow. And they were not upset. You know, it's a joke. So it's funny. It's not like, I hate this person. Mm. And and so much about comedy is like trying to deal with our, our demons through laughter and poking fun at it. I guess I go, well, I feel okay about this because the person I make fun of the most is myself. Mm. CJ would probably take umbrage with that. But CJ will hear a joke sometimes and be like, what the hell? (laughs) Or like, he'll say something in our day-to-day life and he sees me immediately get on my phone and Mm. he's like, oh no, (laughs) I know what's coming now. Here it comes. It may just be different too, because I'm with a performer. I'm with someone who kind of understands it. And CJ's dad has passed. And when I remember when he was grieving that when we were younger, it was like every single joke was about it. And and that's just, some people would go, what? That's terrible. And it's like, yeah, but that's, that was his grieving process. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think that's something that comes up a lot, even for Dirk, when he did improv or, you know, um, talks about movies with people, he will end up like relating to people through the movies he's talking about. And I think that comedians Mm -hmm. do that when they're processing whatever it is, grief, if they're, even if they're doing something, you know, Ian started writing jokes about weddings and you know i mean i just think that is is what you do and how you do it just because that's your place to process your feelings yeah they next are having a christmas party and tim blake nelson is there doing couplets about fish which is really something so i put on the hat i say i think that i should never wish a mammal nobler than the fish which sort of sets it up because they realize that what i do are couplets about fish but a fish isn't a mammal. I know, but nothing else fits the meter. All right, then I hit him with this. Many for bravery praise the state trooper, while I admire the stately grouper. Bob Nelson plays Ed. He's in the background with a spoon on his nose. Dottie admits that she has an agent, and her friends have mixed feelings over her success. Is it tricky for you to, as a performer to navigate that thing, especially during the come-up where, like, you might get something great, and then can you tell your friends who might not get something great, or they might get something really great, and then you're like, well, why didn't I get a great thing? Do you have feelings like that? Or? Yeah. I wish I could say I'm one of those people that's like, oh my God, I'm so happy for I really struggle with it, and I don't know <laughs> if it's a competitiveness. I definitely am a jealous person. I think it was Kathy and Jimmy who like was like like stabbing or doing like mm-hmm. I can't believe you ever and I was like yeah that is that's an honest depiction of what's sometimes happening in my mind for sure yeah it's great because it's such a subtle thing that if you're not really looking at the background or paying attention you might miss some of it but that's a real deal that's mm-hmm. something I've watched people come up through comedy and you know they're like I didn't get just for laughs mm-hmm. and somebody else did and you're like ah I don't know well, yeah. but I think it's in everything. I mean, I'm taking a writing group right now. And even just the topic of an agent came up and our instructor is telling people how to get an agent. And so even just when I said that I already had a literary agent, I like felt guilty and I didn't mm-hmm. want to tell them because I didn't want them to feel terrible, you know, because it's like a hard thing to do. To yeah, get one. it's fully in everything. You know, it's a promotion at an office job. When you're in a creative industry, the people that are your colleagues are also your friends. Yeah. And so that, and there's no HR. Yeah. And so the lines are blurred a lot. Something that can also blur lines is too many white wine spritzers, which is the drink that Carrie Fisher <laughs> orders. Carrie Fisher is there with her kids for the first performance where we get to see Dottie. And yeah. um, white wine spritzer happens to be one of my favorite things to order at a bar. Yeah, but I want to know what Megan drinks when she does Oh, shows. Do you have drinks when you do shows? Yeah, I tend to, I don't like to be drunk. Last night I had a Paloma at my first show and then a Corona at my second show. A glass of wine, I can do it sober, but definitely a two drink maximum for me when I'm performing. But my mom loves a white wine spritzer. (laughs) I also loved in the scene that the girls were nervous. I like to see their mom perform. I know like my brothers get really nervous. My brothers have been to tapings of mine and they're like, oh my God, like I was so nervous because it's, there's like the secondhand embarrassment, but it's also like, oh, you're watching someone you love. If we were at like a t-ball game, the way you'd be nervous for your kid you want it to go well yeah oh my gosh it's the first performance her kids are there Arnold Moss comes in which is Dan Aykroyd it's hard for me to see this scene because 
the idea of her kids thinking that she's funny and being proud of her just makes my eyes fill full of tears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yes. like super emotional and you just mm-hmm. I think feel that as a parent as a performer I know like our daughter thinks I'm funny and it's like means so much to me that like that's the way my child sees me I hope she continues to see me that way but all <laughs> I can do is be present for right now Dan Aykroyd eats a napkin in this scene which yes. is such a weird choice and I think it's so fantastic and she says this is my life so that's the first uh-huh. title we get in the film it's never explained why he eats the no. napkin yeah. or what what that's about mm-hmm. which i like I yeah. mean, it's just part of it he just eats napkins when he's nervous that's it yeah when he thinks he's really spotted new talent mm-hmm. catch a rising star which is like on the stage it's that was a real club in new york oh it was before my time there but people used to talk about it a lot and so that was like a that was a famous club that definitely would have existed in the 90s I love that. I thought they called it the comedy shop, but I guess that was a different That's the location. one in LA. Okay. And that's obviously- That's a comedy think, store, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so I was really laughing every time they said it. And <laughs> and when they go to it, it looks nothing like the comedy store looks right. now. So I don't think it was filmed there. That's like in Punchline where they have lockers. The comedians all have lockers in the back sure, of the comedy sure. store. Yeah, oh. I love a locker. It's <laughs> <laughs> so weird. She gets to go to LA. The kids are mad because they want to go to LA too, but she's going solo for three weeks. Then as they walk her to the cab and she delivers a great speech about don't write letters, write journals, a record of your life, which I think is fantastic. The kids give her a great pep talk. If your child could give you a pep talk, what do you think it would be? Gosh, (laughs) I think he'd be like, you're doing fine, mom. You gotta (laughs) calm down. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. Then we get this shot that I think is so fantastic where it tracks the three of them walking along the street to go to the cab. Mm-hmm. And then she gets in the cab after the speech and then it just pivots the camera and you just see the two sisters walking away from the camera for a long time by themselves. Yeah, I'm like, are they okay? This is New York in the 90s. Yeah. This is not, it's... this is pre-Giuliani ticketing people right. for peeing outside. Right. So who knows what's going on? Yeah, it was, it's just fantastic. Then we get our first babysitter, Ed, who does the sketch with the chicken and the eggs. Mm-hmm. Good, old, good old Ed. And then next is Angela doing Swan Lake while cleaning, which is pretty amazing. And then we get a brief little section where we see Erica has an ear infection and her mom's not there. And as a parent, you're just like, oh, that kills me. Because we've yeah. had times where we were out of town and our kid had a fever. And That's she... like the only time anything goes wrong yeah. with a child is uh-huh. when their parent goes out of town. It's like the worst oh. sickness they get is when the parent yeah. is not there. Also, three weeks is a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's, I'm not saying she's not do that. But like when they said three weeks, I was like, oh my, that's a good chunk of time to be gone from your two kids who are aware yeah like I think at the age my son is when I I had to go to Vegas I was away from him for two nights I mean I cried every day Mm -hmm. it was it was so hard for me he was fine yeah he like they were like yeah he was looking for you he's not fully aware though but like that mom isn't here Mm -hmm. and but these girls they're of age to be like we miss our mom where is our mom so it's hard on everyone involved in it if you were going to go out of town, Megan, who of your comedian friends would you have watch your child? Oh. I luckily have some comedian friends who are also moms. You know, I would hit them up first. I don't know if there's any like, there's some male comedians who are dads. You, the people that are the most free are the ones that are, don't have children though. Yeah. So I, I think I would have to be relying on 
uh, some of the gals who I know are nannies, but don't have any of their children of their own. But I did like, yeah, when you show the babysitters, how it's like a funny group of people. Yeah, yeah. I think my closest childhood babysitter would have been the character Mia, who's kind of like yes, the hippie that takes him to like to the abortion rally. Yeah, to the abortion rally. There's like pictures of me being taken by my babysitter to a no nuclear war rally, and she was like a you know a potter and like you know had this pottery wheel, and I thought she was like the coolest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mia's so cool. I I was like, if I'm anyone in this movie, I hope I'm Mia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and not Dennis, who's who we get next, and he delivers a couplet about elk. It's really something. And then came Dennis, who was no longer writing couplets about fish. What is it about Lawrence Welk that brings to mind the dainty elk? The call comes, and she's going to stay in L.A. two more weeks, and the girls are so sad. Uh, how are you both, this is for both of you, with a career that can take you away, but it also gives so much to the family. I guess we just covered that. Well, I mean, I can talk on it a little bit from my perspective. You know, when Adeline was really little, and especially when I was like nursing and, you know, all of those things, I felt like I couldn't really leave. And I couldn't really travel. We tried it a couple times where we had to go to shows in LA and stuff like that. And I, I would do it. And then I would be like, that was so not worth it. Like flying with a baby's hard. They wouldn't let me nurse her on the plane. So then she, which was my plan. And then, so she cried mm-hmm. the whole time. And I was like, I'm not doing that again. It sucked. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I was like sweaty and nervous and, you know, and so I didn't travel a lot in the beginning. And I think mm-hmm. that then when I was at a point where I felt like she wasn't dependent on me to eat Mm -hmm. to live I was like okay I can you know do this now and and so I've picked up more and more I definitely don't go anywhere you know at first I traveled and and had you stay home so she would feel like grounded to you know family or whatever and you know I spent lots of years working with kids that had attachment issues so that's always on my mind no matter what it's like I don't want our kid to feel abandoned and so this movie Mm -hmm. has all of those things Mm -hmm. running through it which is why I think I got so weepy all of the time because because it's just like this connection to reality that like if your parent leaves it feels shitty Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. um you know I tried really hard not to create that for Adeline so if we if we now go places together you know it's four to five days but she's with her grandparents so I think it's just Mm -hmm. like making decisions that I can feel good about and that's just how I do it, you know? And so mm-hmm. now we'll go out of town a lot more. And I don't, and I think Adeline is so happy with the way that we have. have we also do talk out. I don't want people to we think also we don't. take her places. But <laughs> yeah, she's, she wants to go. She'll like remember things. I, um, there's definitely things that I've said no to mm-hmm. post baby that I would have said yes to pre. And it, I don't even necessarily feel like it's holding me back. I'm just like, yeah, I don't want to go there. It's just, I go, that's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really has to be worth my while. And luckily like some of the positives of the pandemic where there's a lot of things I can now do from home that I used to not be able to do from home. Um, and so it's like, even right now I can hear him downstairs and we're doing this over zoom whereas in in a in a pre-pandemic world obviously we're in a different state but like you would have a studio and be like i i right. gotta go here but i i do think it'll probably evolve and you do still have to make money but you also need to like be happy in the choices too yeah that's well said 
The next uh, is a wonderful monologue about the stages of stand-up. We go through the sweaty palm phase, the vomit phase, the I'm doing it phase, and the strongest person on earth phase. Where is my purse? What? Is this not what happens? Do you After a while, doing stand-up starts to feel familiar, even routine. First, it's the sweaty palm phase, followed by the I can't do it, I'm nauseous, I'm going to throw up phase, followed by hey, I'm doing it, followed by I am the most powerful person on the face of the earth. That phase is the best phase. You know, I've always secretly wanted something. How did you feel about this description? I'm in the tired phase, <laughs> uh, which I think lasts a while. And then maybe you get to the like the uh, how much longer am I going to get to do this? And it gets exciting. I think that's a pretty um, I I think for Dottie, that's a really accurate. Mm-hmm. I think the phases end up being very different, like Dottie's trajectory is so fast that her stages are probably like too short and like warped a little bit but for what she's going through those stages make sense yeah I think it's so interesting when we talked about not doing well versus doing well talking about feeling like you're gonna vomit before something there are certain things that still happen years into public performance professions and things like I can mention stuff to Ian and he'll just be like, it'll take him right back to something that happened 12, 15 years ago. It's like, it just works yeah, you yeah. back to this terrible experience. And you're like, I'm having PTSD. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Right. And there, people will be like, do you still get nervous? And it's like, not for like just a regular old show, but I was really nervous when I came back since having the baby. Cause I was like, do I still have it? Like right. I'm so sleep deprived. And then there's situations too, where it's like, it's a big audition or something important is on the line where it's like, yeah, of course. Worse. It's only human to get nervous. Yeah, yeah. It's wild. It's so funny because certain things I feel like you get really good at. Like I've watched Sarah just go be like, yeah, I can do a three minute, a six minute, like whatever presentation type of thing. Know when to wrap it up, know when to fill in Mm -hmm. for the, know what type of host you get even where you're like, oh, you're not going to be responding. So I have to fill in that air too. And it's just, uh, Mm -hmm. but then there's certain things where your body is just like, no, we're, we're not okay with this moment. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, and I think I had a little PTSD when she is, has to wear the chicken costume. Oh yeah. We're getting to that. And does the wrap. And I just, you know, sometimes I've said yes to something where then when I'm actually there and they'll like put something on my head or make me wear some kind of weird shirt or (laughs) something, you know, where they're like, where it's very branded, which isn't who I am as a person, you know, and, and I don't know, Megan, if you've ever had anything like that happen, but I think it's just part of, of it where I saw that happen to her and I was like, oh no, they're going to make her wear that chicken costume. (laughs) She's going to have to do a chicken wrap. I'm a real sellout. And so (laughs) I will do truly anything. I was in a commercial, I was truly portraying myself basically. And I miss it. Like, I'm like, please let me be a commercial actress again. I will sell anything. You can put (laughs) anything on me. So I saw that chicken commercial and go, she's making some good money. Like I was like, I got to get back in this circuit. I love that. Yeah. (laughs)
<laughs> they next introduce Mia, who we already talked about, who stir fries everything and takes them to the abortion okay. rally dressed like Sandra Day O'Connor. I love every detail in this mm -hmm. movie. They play the mystery date game, which is a game I always wanted. And they talk about being a Betty of Veronica, which is something that mm -hmm. comes back in a very sweet way in this film. She next mentions her kids' names on TV and they jump for joy yes. on the bed. It's just like moment after moment in this movie. I'm just like grinning. I'm smiling. Yeah. We're wiping tears out mm -hmm. of our eyes. It's just yeah. this thing deserves to be celebrated a lot more. Um, next, uh, I was going to ask, was Conan your first big TV spot? Yes. Yeah. That was the first time I ever did TV. And how long had you been doing comedy at that point? And what was that experience like? I had been doing it seven years okay. and I was a nanny at the time. And so I flew to LA from New York to do it. It was like, gosh, I don't even know if it was a dream come true. Cause I don't even know if I had a dream <laughs> that big, but it was so amazing. Everyone was so lovely. My mom came with me. Uh. And so, you know, we were on the Warner brothers lot and we felt so cool. I loved the set. I felt so proud of myself. And then I flew back to New York and went to my nanny job. It's so crazy. Yeah. The baby was maybe 12 months when I did Conan. Yeah. And they let him watch it and they sent me a video of him watching oh. it. And when I came out on stage, he clapped. <gasps> oh, that's so oh. cute. I'm like, oh, my son will see me on yeah. TV, you know, God willing, someday. And I, and I do wonder, will he be like, what's mama doing in the box? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, our daughter has seen Sarah on TV and when she was very little and she loved it. She sat next, right next to her grandma and would watch you do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And she always just is like, that's my mom. And then that's what they yeah. have. That's what they say. And the that's thing. what Adeline always says still yeah. when she sees me on something. Yeah. It's so, so sweet. Yeah. More, more tears were leaking out of eyes at that <laughs> point. Uh, we're experiencing her come up, which was, is very exciting. I got to mm -hmm. watch Ian go from fresh out of high school to like where he is now. And it's just really amazing to see. And so I was curious what it was like for you to go from like the Conan one set to your half hour to six episodes of a show with David Spade. Yeah, I, I wrote for that show and then got to be on it a few times. Dottie's is so fast that I'm right. like pretty jealous. Yeah. Mine felt like pretty slow. Then once it happen then you're like I get to be on TV but like even now I'm in this place too where I'm like have I peaked am I on the back end is there still right. more to discover stand-up's really one of those things and maybe this is just the nature of who is drawn to it where we just constantly want more yeah so even when you accomplish something you go okay well what's next Kumail Nanjiani famously talked about that how he would go on letterman or whatever it is and then instantly no joy just like what's the next thing what am right. i supposed to be doing and i would it's like oh my gosh that idea of yeah. being present for something so incredible like that is i mean carry that value she returns home brings a bunch of swag for her kids that's always mm -hmm. a fun time and then we get to see opal in a play and carrie fisher's there and says if you were a man would you think i have capped teeth which is <laughs> so funny yeah. to me I love Carrie Fisher in this movie. She's a great character mm -hmm. in this. It's so good. The kids perform and they're all overlapping rather than talking in sync, which is so endearing. Mm -hmm. um, they go to a restaurant to celebrate and Opal has the largest ice cream and it's just visually. I think such it's I think they go to Serendipity in New York oh. City, um, which is famously featured in One Fine Day, too. Oh. That And it's like this famous uh, dessert shop that has these massive sundaes. Oh, that's great. That's perfect. Um, Samantha Mathis is not a fan of her mom getting more success, Erica, 
and she feels left out in the scene. We don't really know where Dottie's love for performing started, but where did it start for you? You know, I would do little plays as a kid. I was in theater. I just really liked performing even from a young age and and sort of knew that was my favorite thing. I But I did not realize stand-up comedian was a job. I don't think until probably college, honestly, or at least a job for women. I did not mm-hmm. comprehend that. You didn't know who Paula Poundstone was? I did. No, I knew who all, I, I love Joan Rivers. I watched it. Like, sure. I, I guess maybe I didn't know it was a job I could do. Yeah. No, that's wild when you real or when you realize you're doing the thing. Like, you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm doing the thing that I didn't think I could do. Yeah. Look at that. Mm-hmm. And that and that realization still happens sometimes. Yeah, that's great. That's part of that being present thing, because then, you know, like, oh, my right. gosh, I'm standing on the stage that. Yeah. Then, or I'm doing the next thing, which is my one of my favorite sequences, which is the chicken commercial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you could be a chicken instead of a person, you yes. want to be me. Miss Chemical Free. And speaking of commercials, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Now, I have a question for you. What would Vice Squad be without Wings Hauser? Or House 3 without Brian James? Would you watch Panther Squad without Sybil Danning? No. It would be boring. That's how we feel about food and Marshall's Hot Sauce. Wake up your meals with these small batch sauces created and bottled by a chef. These aren't made in a co-packing plant. They're thoughtfully sourced, balanced creations with a focus on quality and flavor. The red chili lime? Sweet and a little spicy, like Gage in Pet Cemetery. Or habanero carrot curry, which is more spicy and ethereal, like erotic ghost story. Marshall's Hot Sauce has something for everyone, including the mildest, which is a smoked habanero barbecue. Kind of sweet, kind of smoky. It would be right at home on the range with Klaus Kinski in the Great Silence. You know what I'm saying. There's also a new line of seasonings with real ingredients dehydrated and combined into fantastic and easy ways to cook for yourself or your family. From the new herb pasta and marinara packets, right on down to the explosive volcano sparkle, which I'm sure Zed and Blues Academy 3, you know the part where he hangs out in the tear gas draining? What a cut up. I'm sure he'd, he'd want some sparkle. You'll find it all at marshallshotsauce.com. Enter VHUS podcast at checkout for 20% off. Plus, you might get a little something from me. So head on over, wake up your meals, not to mention Sarah's now teaching classes again, so you can learn hot sauces, pickling, all kinds of stuff. I'm hosting hot sauce tastings where you can hang out for an hour and just eat spicy stuff. But you'll find it all there, marshallshotsauce.com. And now, back to the show. And we're back. And I would buy this soundtrack if Miss Chemical Free was on there. <laughs> it's so good. We next see Ed come in and he acts like an air conditioner. I love these brief uh-huh. little things that Ed does to that like. That is totally a move you would do. Okay. And well... so I think that's why you like it. As soon that's as I saw that, it, I was yeah, like, like. Ed's a who. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. a real character, that yeah. guy. Uh, the girls talk about having a regular mom. Our kids don't have regular parents. And. Mm-hmm. How, are, are we all fine with that? Do we like that? 
Man. Yeah, CJ's like, oh my God, it's he's going to be like, oh, this is so like cool or weird that my parents are comedians and everyone I know is comedians. And I'm like, we live in LA. I think like <laughs> everyone here has a weird job. I think if we lived in Indiana still, that would be weird to him. But it's just like out here, parents do different types of non-traditional quote unquote. Yeah. Sarah? Yeah. I mean, I think you and I chose this life because we wanted to spend time together and with our child. And so mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, if I, if I still had my old social work job, I would be on call 24 hours a day and I would be gone a lot and working, you know, all the time and super stressed and yeah, sad. So and so I think that, you know, I feel good about the decisions that we have made about, um, you know, having a business and being able to kind of be together and be with our child mm-hmm. way more because that's mm-hmm. not the way our life was before so mm-hmm. yeah so i think yeah i think we're, we're doing it yeah, yeah we're lucky I lucky people so. i think so uh then it happens erica meets jordan played by danny zorn sadly passed away in 2012 but you can see him in my boyfriend's back indecent proposal blast from the past i love him in this movie mm-hmm. um, we see erica and jordan making out against a few buildings then he unbuttons her shirt an awkward makeout session to Tchaikovsky, an even more awkward condom pantomime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get the awkward sex, awkward quick redressing, where it's just so much awkward packed into this movie. And then Jordan's mom comes in. She's amazing. Too. Yeah. She's like, a, she knows what's going on mm-hmm. and is like, come, let's have a chat. Because they're mortified <laughs> and just, so they don't want to talk to her. And I'm like, I think as a mom, she's doing a great job. Yeah. <laughs> I also love how much Opal hates um, the boyfriend. Yeah. Doesn't hate, but it's just like, what do you see in him? Oh, like Opal so is six and is like, we got to find you better men. She says he looks like a pole. And the mom yeah. goes like a Polish person. She's like, no, like a pole. <laughs> she's like well is he funny and she's like he better be he has nothing else going for him <laughs> well and that um mom she she's a doctor so she starts explaining things right away and i grew up with yes. an, a nurse mom and so that Ditto. is just oh, how God. it is like oh at, like people percent. would come over to our table and be like your mom just said vagina at the dining table like yes. i've never even heard my mom say that and i'm like oh well yeah i mean that's just how my mom is like that's just the way we grow up my mom would show us sexually transmitted disease like slideshows. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. You just that's a special that's, breed of moms. moms. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. The the model of the ovaries and uterus that mm-hmm. she puts on the table is yeah. like such a great punchline. I love it. It's so good. Next the kids fight a little bit more and then Ed comes in as a baby a giant baby Mm -hmm. and then walks out of the room. That's about the part where I realized, Oh, he's just doing bits. He's just testing material. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so funny. Then we see Julie on a talk show hosted by Ellen Cleghorn, who was the bus driver from Pete and Pete. Mm -hmm. She was also on SNL. Opal and Mia are watching while knitting and Dottie's performing. Dottie uses the daughter wanting to change her name and Erica gets super angry. Um, I guess you've already covered if you've said anything that anyone took umbrage with. Yeah, but the person I'd like to be the most respectful and thoughtful of is my child. Yeah. And he is not aware yet, but I still, like, I have tons of jokes now about childbirth and, and having a baby and being pregnant, but I... And maybe this is subconscious. They're more about me and and the experience and less about like, I can't believe he did this to me. Like, it's like, I wanted to have him. He's a wonderful baby. But there are wild things that happen in terms of pregnancy and and child rearing. Yeah, totally. 
You don't want to be like, you ruined my body. <laughs> no, 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 no. I want to be things. respectful of him. But like, there's been jokes that I've done that I'm like, you know what? I actually want to, I got to stop doing that. Yeah. Now the kids are off to Vegas. Erica confronts her during someone asking for autographs, which is just like, oh my gosh. It's like such a fast, poignant way to show like, she's trying to have a moment. I'm over it. Yeah, it's <laughs> so good. They take a limo, pretend to be on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. This film does a great job of showing the difficulty of being apart, but also the benefits of doing the work, which you also mm -hmm. have to be, you know. Plus, we get more Carly Simon, which who's going to mm -hmm. complain about that? Uh, Opal sees her mom's name on the marquee and yells, that's my mom, which, uh. yeah, it's so beautiful. They go to the lighting booth and meet Billy. He's got a creepy vibe at first, but it's harmless, and Opal gets a crush on him, which is like, so cute. Mm -hmm. Opal delivers her first crush speech. It's very sweet. And then he let me wear his hat. And it was so amazing because when mom was talking about love, I felt like it was totally about me. It was everything I was feeling and she was just saying it. It was like a deja vu. That's not what deja vu is. I couldn't believe all that stuff. She doesn't believe in love. On top of everything else, she's become a giant fake. Then I had to give the hat back. I don't know if I'm ever going to see him again. And then she says, oh, God, Erica, is this what my life is going to be yes. like? <laughs> Dottie brings somebody home and the girls pretend to be asleep. There's a great shot of the girls crawling on the floor, passing clothing item after clothing item until we see it. And, uh-oh, deep breath, the hat is on the floor. And we're like, Billy's hat. Mm -hmm. No, not Billy. The girls are sitting at breakfast and she says, how do you think I feel? And it's like, Opal is so great because she's like five going on 80. It's yeah. like yes. so yes. good. It's devastated. It's her first crush yeah. and yeah. she thinks that they're sleeping with her mom. <laughs> I know. so sad. They're so aware. Yeah. Yeah. The next day, Moss delivers a speech and mentions their father and Opal says, I don't remember anything about my father. Not one thing. And you're like, jeez. Yeah. And then it comes out that she's sleeping with Moss. It's uh Yes. It's so... And like they're so grossed out and they're like, the Moss. And then you you really I love like you see him be like, these two kids think I'm disgusting. <laughs> yeah. It's... Because it it like he's a power agent. You know, he's like a mover and shaker, but that doesn't make him cool to children. Right. No. <laughs> they don't want to have anything to do with them. No, they think he's gross. Yeah. Also, Dan is really, like, sort of subdued in this. In this he world. is, it's yes. Very subtle. So the gals decide they need to get in touch with their dad to try to break up this situation with Moss. So they hire a detective, and he finds him in Albany. It's very quick. The gals are hanging out in a bedroom, and Opal asks if all the ladies have sex. And then, <laughs> then Erica puts on an almost famous show, but it happens when Dottie comes home and hears it. It is yes. very, very rude. So we get our big, tumultuous fight here. This is the... yes. And Erica, instead of the rich and famous, she says, almost rich, nearly famous, and never home. Oh. And I was like, wow, she read me. I was like, I think Dottie and my careers are at the same point in this movie. And Dottie's been doing it one year. So I really, that's really needs, I need to take a look in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we get this fight. It's extremely well acted and also funny at the same time. And I don't mm -hmm. know how Nora Ephron could do these things, but it's just like, the way that they have Opal popping out of her door and it the way, it's just, it's so great because it's also not a movie that's going to make you feel terrible. 
It like Mm-mm. gives you a lot of different feelings, but it's never in a way that's just going to punish the characters just to have them come back together. It's like yeah, and you understand everybody's point of view yeah. too. Like it's like yes, Erica, you are correct, and also Dottie is correct too. You want to go see your dad, and your dad is trash, has done nothing, yeah. and you're mad at your mom for not being there when your dad's never been there. Yeah. And then the next morning, they're on a train and a cab, more Carly Simon. We meet Martha, Norm, their father's new wife, and she's not even present in his life. It's like she gets to be there. It's like everything's so poignant in this movie that like she gets to be with their dad and she knows nothing about the man. And all they want to do is know something about the man. And then when they meet him, he's not worth knowing. (laughs) It's just like, oh, my gosh. Right. And that Martha has been in everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also in Sleepless in Seattle, Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> um, when I saw her, I felt in good hands. I did love, and this felt so specific to like the 90s, the ex-husband has no idea that Dottie is a comedian. And in uh, the age of social media, that's nearly impossible. Right. And he's kind of insulting about it. Like he's like, well, that's funny. And the daughters are like, why is that funny? You know, like she's a good comedian too. But just like, yeah, your ex-husband knowing nothing about what you're doing with your life while well, she has custody of your two kids it's like you're bad right yeah and the girls stand up for their mom right away yes. as soon as he yes. starts being insulting they're like what no and then, yes. <laughs> so then you know who it's they're that old like with. i can say bad stuff about my family but mm-hmm. you can't say anything yeah. about my family yeah yeah it's it's great it's sad because then they leave but um mm-hmm. but then they're going back home we see Dottie and dan they're sad they don't know where the girls are dan eats the tissue again after he gives her a tissue which is both funny and poignant Dottie says, if you give your kids a choice of you being happy in Hawaii or on suicide watch in the next room, they'd choose that, (laughs) which is like brutal, but also like, yeah, especially when they're little. On the train, Opal and Erica talk about how their dad didn't say that they, they would be fidgety, that they would be frigid. And so they talk about what that means. And it's just uh, the way that these two have each other is mm-hmm. it's, it's just fantastic. They see their mom as they get off the train. I couldn't see this scene f- very well because I had some dust in my eyes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they're happy. And God damn it, Carly Simon comes in hard. Yeah. She's cuddled up with her kids. She talks about how it's hard, but they'll make it work. It's just that's their life. I think this it's so beautiful. I don't know. What, what did you think of the climax of this? I really loved it. And Dottie isn't saying, and they don't want her to say, I'm not going to do stand up anymore. It's just, we're going to reconfigure some priorities and some time and you're going to be mad at me again. And that's just kind of life. Oh, well, that brings us to the final thoughts on the film. Final thoughts, Sarah, on, on This Is My Life. I I mean, I think it's beautiful. I don't know if I would have felt different about it if I watched it like pre having a child, maybe I wouldn't so many Mm -hmm. emotions wouldn't have been sparked. But I think that the takeaway I always have, because I do think people say this all the time, which is that, you know, kids want happy parents. And I think that's true. I do think kids want happy parents. But I also think that kids want their parents to be around. And I think that we're lucky to be in this time where we can make that happen, where maybe in this movie in the 90s, we couldn't really do that. Traveling with kids wasn't really such a big thing or taking them to work with you to places. And then now, because we're all adaptable and I think it's more acceptable, I think we can kind of make those things happen. Mm. And so, yeah, I think it's a beautiful story. I think it has a really nice bonding between all the girls and and just also the community. I loved the bonding of the comedian community community together and just Mm -hmm. like all pulling together to help each other and to watch the kids and do all that. I felt really great living within this movie. 
Yeah. Megan, final thoughts? I loved it. I thought it was so sweet. I also thought for a movie that was made 30 years ago, mm-hmm. every single part of it resonated with me. <laughs> no, I, I, it's like the character and I have so much in common, but I really was like, oh, I feel every single thing she is feeling and worried about. And I do think it also gave me some hope too, because I always think about the bad of like, oh, he's going to be embarrassed. He's, I'm going to have to be away. But I, it had not dawned on me, sadly, that like, oh, he may be proud of me and he may think what I'm doing is cool and fun too. And they'll probably be mostly annoyed and embarrassed, but there will be moments where, where he's like, that's kind of cool. And so it made me excited for that too, hopefully. That's fantastic. Also, I will say the first couple of years, they don't remember much. So, right. <laughs> uh, so that's really helpful. I put a lot. This of is effort. when I should work the bluest. <laughs> yeah. I put a lot into those first four years and then was like, hey, remember this? And she's like, no. And I was nope. like, I, I worked really hard on that. Okay. <laughs> well, that brings us to just the final questions. These are just about yourself. First one is, what is a good day like for you as a comedian who is also a parent? Ooh, a good day is if I am the parent that gets to sleep in that day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that means like 8 a.m., you know, like if my husband gets up with him. I love when it's just CJ and I at home with him and I get to do like a little bit of work. I get to do a podcast, get to have a call about something and then get off it and see my little sweetie and my husband and, and get to go for a walk. And then we have a nice dinner all together mm-hmm. and and my baby goes to sleep and then I get to go off and do stand up and he doesn't even know that I'm not in the house. Yeah, sleepy time. Perfect. And I hate to ask it, but it's the next question. What's a bad day like? A bad day is if I don't get to see my baby at all. And if I'm bad at stand up and if I'm hungover <laughs> and if I don't like any of the food and none of my clothes are fitting and the audience is bad and I'm on the road. Yeah, I guess I'm just describing being on the road. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> oh, perfect. Anything you could say of encouragement towards someone who may also be in that phase of You've been a stand-up for a number of years, and now you've added a whole nother experience and job on top of that. Yeah, anything you could say to that? I just think there's so many parents that are stand-ups now, and I didn't ever see that when I was coming up. I knew Joan Rivers had a daughter and unfortunately her husband tragically committed suicide. So that was sort of the most successful family unit that I saw in in stand-up comedy. And then I saw a lot of women who were single or men that it was like, who knows what they have? Like they may have seven (laughs) kids at home. They don't act like it. Um, But I think there's so many examples of people doing it now that it made me believe it was possible. and, And so it is. Fantastic. Which brings me to the last question, and it's my favorite question. Megan, what are your dreams like? Oh, gosh. My dreams are, I'd love to live in South Pasadena. Um, It's currently a school district we can't afford, but we're on the come up, I hope. I have huge dreams for my husband, too. I want to see his dreams come true. Um, I think that would make me so happy. And I would love to be able to work and have a show hopefully maybe my own show or a show that I'm in charge of. And so I get to make it that um, my sweetie and and anyone else's sweeties that they want get to be around as much or as little as they want. Oh, that's perfect. I love that. Do you have 
anything you would wish to promote anything coming up? I would love if people listen to I Love a Lifetime movie. Mm -hmm. I think if you like this podcast, you'll really love that too. And I would say most of our listeners do not even watch the films, Um, but they do love to hear Naomi and my take on them. And then, yeah, my Twitter, I'm still on it. (laughs) I promote shows. Also my Instagram, which I'll probably be on longer. I also tend to repost show posters. So if you're in the LA area, uh, you can come see a show and I am going to go back on the road. Probably not going to be until summer, fall, but I, I will be going back on the road and, and hitting the, the places in the country I'm willing to still go to. Perfect. <laughs> well, thank you, Megan. I appreciate your time so much. Once again, Megan's podcast is I Love Lifetime Movies. Megan's album is My Dad Paid for This. Sarah Marshall, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. As always, I'm Dirk Marshall, and this has been VH Plus. <laughs>